Well, good morning. I am very thankful to be here. I'm thankful to Father James for inviting me, and especially for the leadership that he's exhibiting in this area to, to gather us uh, Pittsburgh folks uh, that are, that are they call us out of the burg, uh, to gather us together. So it's, it's great to build that fellowship, and I'm appreciative for that and for this opportunity. I bring you greetings from Church of the Great Shepherd, um, particularly from our rector, Father George, and uh, Deacon Phil, and myself, and the whole congregation. So happy to be here. Why don't we open in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we're grateful to you for everything you give us. We're grateful for this beautiful morning that we can gather together to worship you. Pray, Lord, that you would be honored at all that that um, goes on this morning here, that you would draw every heart closer to you, that we would honor you with our thoughts and our actions. Teach us now, Lord, things that you want us to hear. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'd like to begin by sharing with you all something that happened to me somewhat recently. As I'll explain, it's something that pretty significantly altered my life, at least for a time. I went very quickly from being a capable, independent, confident, and able-bodied to being dependent on others and seriously hindered. No longer could I drive. I couldn't use my computer, let alone read most things. I couldn't even recognize my neighbors as they walked past my house. My condition was very limiting and concerning. What happened to me? Well, what happened to me was this. Well, not this exactly. I misplaced my glasses and, and I couldn't find them for some time. Now, my vision is pretty lousy, which is why this was such a big deal. You know the eye chart at the optometrist's office with the big E? I can't see the big E. So, uh, so yes, I really need my glasses. With my glasses, however, I can see clearly. Thankfully, eventually, my more able husband was able to find the falling behind the piece of furniture. And with that, voila, my vision was restored. So why am I telling you this? Well, I want to ask you to give a title to my sermon this morning, but if I was, I think I would call it what glasses are you wearing? I'm supposed to what glasses are you wearing? You see, the glasses you wear or don't wear, the lenses you look through are quite important. So more on this later. But for now, let's examine the gospel reading. Deacon Mary just read to us a little bit together. The passage that she read is from the 10th chapter of the book of Matthew. The context is this. Jesus is sending out the 12 two by two into surrounding villages to preach the kingdom. The preach of the kingdom of heaven is at hand to heal and to drive out demons. It's a rather long section with almost the entirety of chapter 10 being dedicated to the instructions of Jesus. It's a red letter chapter as it were. Almost all, are the, all the things it contains are the words of Jesus. Our gospel reading was only a part of that taken from the middle of his speech. As you may recall, that section that we read begins, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Be on your guard against men. And then it goes on to list many things, quite unpleasant things, that will happen to them as a result of their message. For instance, they'll be flogged 
handed over to governing councils and brought before important leaders. Then he goes on to talk about betrayals and those of the worst sort among family members, betraying each other unto death. He talks about persecutions, about standing firm to the end and fleeing from one place to the other. Now this section in and of itself is of course an important teaching and one the disciples surely must have taken serious note of. Yet a quick perusal will show that Jesus was speaking not just to them, but to multiple audiences, right? Yes, to the disciples who were physically with him at that very moment. He was telling them what would happen in their own ministries. Yet not every single thing he warns of is limited to or would happen to every single one of them. For example, not everyone and perhaps none of them would be betrayed by their brother or father or child unto death. So we see here that the audience for his teaching stretches beyond those 12 apostles to later followers of Christ down through the ages. Even a very brief look at church history shows how many of the things Jesus told did indeed happen, and many times over, to his faithful followers throughout the centuries. For all of them, and for us, it is good to note that Jesus foretold such things, so that when persecution came, they would know to expect it. As it says in 1 Peter, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. This is something that has been true for Christ's followers throughout time, even to the current day. There are places in the world right now, as you know, where Christians suffer persecution, and we can see that our own land is becoming increasingly hostile to Christians more and more. This again should not surprise us. What should surprise us is that we have lived relatively free from persecution for decades and even centuries in this country. But that's an anomaly, according to the teaching of scripture. So now let's go back to the text. After giving these warnings, these heads up, as it were, to his disciples, Jesus follows with something that to me was very unexpected, very surprising. And whenever you find something in scripture that's surprising, it warrants deeper analysis. So here's what it doesn't say, and I'm paraphrasing. This bad thing and that bad thing will happen to you. Really bad things will happen to you. So you should be afraid of those things that are coming. Avoid them at all costs. You should probably hide away and hope they never come near you. Now, of course, he doesn't say that, and we really wouldn't expect him to. But, but what he does say, when we take it out of kind of the Bible talk that we've heard many times and we're therefore kind of immune to, and we put it into common parlance, what he says is this bad thing and that bad thing will happen to you. Really bad things will happen to you. Don't be afraid. Let me say it again, don't be afraid. And in case you missed it, I'll say it a third time, don't be afraid. He does say it three times. So we're used to hearing the scripture tell us in this place and others, don't be afraid. We're so used to it that we kind of miss the significance of it sometimes. Here now I'll directly quote part of what it does say. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me. And a little later, when you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. And a little later, if the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? So do not be afraid of them. Now that 
do not be afraid follows directly after. There's no break. I'll read it again as it flows. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, that's the devil, how much more the members of his household? So do not be afraid of them. What? Okay, so that's at the very least incongruous, at worst nonsensical. You can understand the disciples thinking, Lord, everything you're telling us would be things to definitely make us afraid, right? What is there not to be afraid of? Flogging, persecution, intimate betrayals, death. And yet in those few verses directly following on these warnings, Jesus says three times to not be afraid, to quote, so do not be afraid of them. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. So don't be afraid. Now, you know, our family spent the last two weeks in Southern Utah. We're gonna go on a little rabbit trail here. Visiting all five national parks there, which are collectively called the Mighty Five. We did a lot of hiking, it was amazing. But there were also some areas that were quite dangerous. One particularly challenging hike in Zion National Park is Angel's Landing, so named because arriving at the end of the trail is so treacherous that it's said only an angel can land there. It's arguably the most dangerous publicly accessible trail in the country. You have over 20 steep switchbacks in one section. You have unrestricted rocky drop-offs at various points near the top of the trail. But most challenging and unnerving, in my mind, is one section about 30 feet long. It's about two feet wide and has a 1,000-foot drop-off on either side. Yes, there is a chain you can hold on to for that section, but still, right? Now. If you're an experienced hiker and you're explaining what awaits an unexperienced hiker on that trail, you might explain everything I just said, but you would not likely not follow it up with, so don't be afraid, right? You would instead advise caution. In some sense, you would want them to have a healthy fear of what lies before them. You would stress having fresh legs and being well hydrated and having good treads on your hiking boots. You would underscore the seriousness and yes, danger of the trail. You wouldn't say, don't be afraid, at least not if you rightly grasp the terrain, realizing that over a dozen people have fallen to their deaths on that trail in the past 20 years. Now, the danger of hiking Angel's Landing and the danger of being a disciple of Christ in an unfriendly environment are two decidedly different things, to be sure. But my point is, if both are challenging, even dangerous to life, why does Jesus say, don't be afraid? It's worth evaluating. And a good question to ask is, is there anything in the text itself that speaks to that question? Well, there's nothing directly saying why one shouldn't be afraid. It's not like, don't be afraid because that, that, that. Okay. The overall teaching here, though, is, is that God is in control and nothing happens apart from his will. But that still, to me, doesn't negate the natural tendency to fear in certain situations. I think, rather, that there is a hint of a reason at the end of this section in verse 32. There it says, whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. Just that. If you acknowledge me before men, I'll acknowledge you before my Father. So is that a compelling enough reason 
Is being acknowledged before the Father enough of a reason to undergo flogging, persecution, betrayal, possibly death? Well, here I think it depends on what I was speaking to earlier. It depends on what classes you wear. We have to realize that in our current state, our natural state, even in our current state as redeemed human beings, we will see through a glass darkly, as it says in 1 Corinthians. We don't see things clearly. Our vision is muddled, blurred. We look at things like persecution, for example, and it's definitely not a good thing. With purely human eyes, it's actually terrible. Betrayal and death, likewise. In what ways are these things anything but things to fear, to dread, to avoid? And so they are, right? With natural sight and comprehension. But we are to apprehend things differently. For example, we can look at Christ going to the cross, right? The things that he was enduring at, at the end of his earthly life there, right? Uh, betrayal, the trials, flogging, carrying his cross, the crucifixion itself. Those are things normally you would look at and you would want to avoid at all costs. But what the scripture tells us is that for the joy set before him, Christ endured these things, right? So, so what he did is he saw through or rather beyond these terrible things to the joy set before him, to the redemption he would accomplish for the world, right? The salvation of us. So if we consider, for example, that standing for Christ, or in our scripture readings terms, acknowledging Christ before others. Is that something, that's something that will lead to persecution, but on the other side of that is acknowledgement before the Father. Well then with heavenly eyes, it truly is worth it. To use my analogy, if we put on heavenly glasses, we will see clearly that what being acknowledged before the Father means, and that will put the other things also into proper perspective persecution, betrayal, and even death will not be seen as the end, but merely the means to a much better end. In this case, being acknowledged before the Father. Okay, being acknowledged before the Father, that's just one little phrase, but it includes within it all the promises of heaven and eternal life. If you're acknowledged by Christ before the Father, his kingdom is yours. It's a wonderful future that's before us, if we can see that clearly. Then it would make sense to not be afraid even of those things that Jesus foretells, at least in some sense, right? You see, he can give us through growth in him and illumination by his Holy Spirit. He can help us see clearly what is far off, and that will ease our earthly fears. So what glasses we look through are important. They have to be the right ones. To push our illustration just a little further, our world wants to give us lenses through which to see things, but they will usually misdirect us. When I lost my glasses, I could have used some other ones we had around the house, perhaps my husband's. But his prescription is so different from mine, it would have actually given me a headache and not improved my vision, really. Um, I could have used my own sunglasses but they would have only dimmed my vision more since they're not prescription. Without glasses or with the wrong glasses, we'll be hindered 
limited, incapacitated, uh, unable, to see, unable to see rightly or live rightly as I was without my glasses. No, we need glasses that will help us see clearly. In spiritual terms, we need God right, to correct our vision. As he does, we will see and understand his ways and we will see things from an eternal perspective. According to our text this morning, we will see that yes, the world, the enemy will not leave us alone if we're Christ's disciples. We will need to hold fast to him, to his word, to his church, to his people throughout our earthly journey. Sometimes things will go more smoothly, but other times our world will be rocky, challenging, even dangerous. Those are the times that we really need to keep our glasses on, to keep our vision clear. As we do so, as we learn to more and more see things through the eyes of Christ, we will not only walk less in fear, but more in faith and confidence. The confidence that at the end will be acknowledged before the Father. With that confidence, we can undertake whatever Jesus says lies before us, the easy or the challenging. So I'll ask, what glasses are you wearing? Do yours tend to clarify things from a heavenly perspective or a worldly one? Do you need to swap out your current pair for one more God-focused? As with our regular vision, we might need checkups every once in a while to make sure that that prescri prescription is correct. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you give us so many gifts. One gift is your leading. One gift is your insight, your vision. God, I pray that you would give each of us here increased accurate apprehension of your world, of your priorities, of the path that lies before us as individuals so that we may walk rightly. And as our focus is on you, um, the things of the world, as the old hymn says, would grow strangely dim and we would walk in your light. Lord, we thank you for this gift you give us and for all that you for us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.